0: It is December. Um, If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Luke chapter 2. We'll be in Luke chapter 2. It is December, everybody. Can you believe it? What's crazy to me, and is in a few days, it's going to be 2020, which kind of sounds like a sci-fi movie. Um, But I don't know about you, um, I absolutely love the Christmas season. I mean, think of everything that the Christmas season is about, and even the things that are around us. The weather, the lights, the food, the decorations, friends and family. If you have kids, your, your kids are uh, soon to be out of school. And so for me growing up, Christmas season used to be uh, Christmas break, um, but as I have gotten older, um, it's more like a Christmas sprint. Um, it's a great time of the year, but it's also a very busy time of the year. And uh, I don't know about you, if you feel overwhelmed yet, just uh, um, moving from Thanksgiving um, to December 1st. Uh, I don't know if you're overwhelmed, if things started picking up within your neighborhood or within your families and just the busyness of the season. Um, I was over um, walking around my neighborhood yesterday. I saw some people hanging up some Christmas tree lights. I saw pictures on Instagram and Facebook of people buying Christmas trees, and it's just a busy time of year, and it's a fun time of year. I remember last December, I had 12 Christmas parties to attend. Did anybody beat that last year? 12 Christmas parties, and I remember even some of those Christmas parties happened on the same day. And uh, for us uh, extroverts in the room, we're probably thinking, yes, more people. For us introverts, we're probably thinking, that is my worst nightmare. (laughs) It's December 1st, so I just want to wish everybody Merry Christmas. Today we begin a new Christmas series called Worship Christ Our King, The King. And I spent a lot of time preparing for this series, and I have the privilege of starting us off and giving an overview of worship. But I have to be honest, when Jared first asked me to speak and give an overview of worship, the topic of worship, I started thinking, worship, where do I start what do we need to hear? What have we heard about this topic in the past and what would be new for us this morning or exciting for us this morning? And what are some examples within my own life that I could share? And as I began to pray and as I began to prepare, I started thinking of all the ways in in which my worship towards God was divided. And then I began reading authors and pastors um, and, and theology and just great stories of, of how authors and pastors, how do they teach the topic of worship? And so as I began, I just, I, I started focusing in on all this information, just recognizing that the worship, it starts with the Trinity. And it's all about understanding who God is. Worship is more than just our minds. It has to also do with our hearts. It's more than just information, but, but transformation when we respond to who God is, and I even started the week just feeling a little overwhelmed at this topic, and I was thinking and praying and just talking to God and said, God, you are so much bigger than even my pathetic attempts to worship you. But luckily, I came across resources and some people in my life that just encouraged me, and this, this uh, quote um, was for me this week, and it, and it really hit home. It says this, the point is not to completely understand God, but to worship him. Let the very fact that you cannot know God fully lead you to praise him for his infiniteness and grandeur. And so for me, this helped this week with, with people coming around me to, to make me stop, to make me focus, to make me really take a look at worship as a true gift. And it's not an obligation and it's not a burden. And it's so very cool that even my lack of understanding worship fully and God fully will lead me to worship him more. And it's a good reminder to us this morning that we're all on a journey of worshiping and learning how to worship our Trinitarian God. So will you pray with me as we get started? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much just uh, for this morning. We thank you so much that we can sing, and it was so amazing just to watch people singing this morning, watching people dancing this morning, and just being reminded of everything that you are. And so, Lord, in this busy season, in this fun season, Um, Draw near to us. We need your filling of your Holy Spirit. We need to constantly be reminded of your Son, Jesus, and uh, the presence that we have of of you being with us. And so we love you, we thank you, and will you just work in our hearts and our minds this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So there are a lot of working definitions for worship, but I came across one that hit home, and we'll be talking um, later on in the series of, of definitions of worship and our response to it. But this one kind of hit home. Tim Keller writes this, and he says, Worship is in two parts. Worship is seeing who God is worth and giving him what he's worth. It's both worship is seeing what God is worth and giving him what he's worth. Seeing God's unsurpassable significance and responding to who he is um, is what it is all about. And so our Advent series today begins in Luke chapter 2. We get to look at a scene where people respond to the greatness of God and worship Him. Will you stand and follow with me in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. This is the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 says this, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Then the angels went away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see these things that have happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went away with haste and found Mary and Joseph and a baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told. You can have a seat. What a great text, what an amazing text. In this passage, we see the angels, we see the shepherds, and we see Jesus' own mother, Mary, responding to God with high praise for unto you this day, born this day in the city of David, is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so initial thought as we move forward for this morning, our natural response to God's gift of Jesus is worship. Our natural response to God's gift of Jesus is worship. And so this morning, we get to be reminded of how awesome God is. We get to respond with praise. We get to worship Christ, the King. And there are four major words that we're going to be going through with our overview of worship that help guide us through creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Creation, worship in the beginning. The fall, worship broken. Redemption, worship made possible in Christ. And restoration, worship as our future. So let's begin. Creation, worship in the beginning. The first pages of the Bible, they shout praise to God. The book of Genesis describes God as creator over everything. It is all about him. There are no other gods but him. It describes in Genesis that God is good, that he is holy, that he is orderly, that he is in control, that he is all-powerful and more. God created people in his image and his likeness. Everything was good. He created man and woman, and he declared it very good. And then God rested, and God called his creation, his people and the nature in which he made, called them into worship of him. And so worship seeing what God is worth and giving him what he's worth from the beginning was perfect. It was worship the way it was meant to be. And so we see with Adam and Eve, there's no separation between humanity and God. There was no brokenness with one another. There There was no fear between humans and nature. Man and woman were able to see God and respond to him without sin. Man's heart and mind weren't divided. And yet in the church, when we talk about worship, from the beginning, we were say we were, we were created to worship or we were created for worship, and it's true, but it doesn't quite get at the heart of things. Yes, we were created to worship. Yes, we were created for worship, but more accurately, we were created worshiping. Worship is not something you turn off and you turn on. Worship is not something extra that we do. Worship is not something that God needs for, from us in, in order for, for him to be completed in some way. We were created worshiping our creator. It's who we are as God's image bearers. We are worshipers. I was even reminded last week as one of my friends, Johnny, taught. He said, he said hey, worship will always um, exist. It will never end. And while evangelism telling people about Jesus will one day cease, and it's what we're called to do, worship will never stop. You see, worship doesn't end. It's an all of life, everyone, everywhere type of thing. Psalm 95, um, six through seven says this. It says, oh, come, let us worship the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a king and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth." The heights of the mountains are, all, are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Worship is a gift from God to us. And so often within the church, we, we miss this. I know I so often miss this, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Sunday, that means we worship. But we worship in each and every day of the week. We come to church not to worship, we come to church already worshiping. And it's not just how was worship today, meaning how was the sermon? Or how was worship today, meaning how was the music? Or did you go to worship today? Did you go to a gathering? Worship is so much more. One of my old professors, he always said this, worship is everything, and everything is worship. So in creation, we get to see, in the Genesis account, we get to see the way God made worship to be, that we were created worshiping our creator, creation, the fall. In the fall, worship was broken Follow with me. It's on the screen in Genesis chapter 3. We see sin enter the picture. It says, Genesis 3, 1 through 4, it says, He, the serpent Satan, said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Least you die, but the serpent said to the woman, "You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." And so, growing up, I always thought that worship was something you either did or you didn't do. If you did things that were good and pleasing to God, it was worship. And if you didn't do good things, if you did bad things or things that weren't worth of weren't uh, focused on praising God, it was worthless but now I get to see that sin entered the world um, and worship still continued. One author writes this, the object or the method of our worship changed, but the act of worship did not. In other words, sin did not cause worship to stop. Sin caused our worship to be redirected from God onto other things. Instead of giving or pouring our lives out to God, we give ourselves away to other things. And that could be a person, could be an experience, an achievement, a cause. So it doesn't matter who we are or what we believe, we are all worshiping something or someone. When sin entered the world, our time, our talents, our treasures were divided and directed away from God and towards other things. Romans 1.21 says this, Paul writes, For although they knew God, they did not honor him um, as God or give thanks to God. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurities, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. You see here that worship was directed from the creator onto created things. I remember one of my old pastors said this. He said, in our culture, we worship brains, bucks, brawn, and beauty. And that was an easy way of remembering it. But these are all idols in our lives, And the list of our idols is endless. And so when we hear the word idol, we think of maybe, or at least I do, I think of like ancient cultures. I I think of temples and I think of statues. But when we really recognize what an idol is and we apply it to our world today, our culture today, it becomes less foreign. It becomes less strange. By definition, an idol is anything, anything that takes the place of God. And this is a big point for us. So if you're taking notes for this morning, the opposite of true worship is idolatry. The opposite of true worship is idolatry, the worship of something or someone else besides God. And so what are our idols in our lives today? What is fighting for our attention? What is fighting for our affections? I don't know about you, but I always have one or two things that is constantly fighting for my affection, fighting for my attention, and trying to take the place of my worship of God. What are those things for you this morning, this week? Adam and Eve bought into the lie that if you eat this, then your eyes will be open. You will be like God. I call it the if then formula. And we all experience this. Most recently, before moving out from San Diego to here to Orange County, the if then for me and for my family was if we got a bigger house, a bigger place, then things are gonna start looking better. We were in a 450-square-foot home um, in San Diego, and uh, with, we brought into that home uh, my daughter, and then we also added my son, Jed. And so there were four of us living in 450 square feet. There were high ceilings, which were cool, but literally our, queen, our king bed was here, and then to the left was my son, and then to the foot of the bed was my daughter, Cooper. We were all together in one room. And so I bought into this if-then formula, if we had two bedrooms. Things would be better if I had a two-car garage or a garage in general. Things would be better if we had that extra bathroom so we don't have to share it as a family. Things would be better if then, if then, if then. And from when we are young to when we get older, we all struggle with the if then. It's a real challenge in life. If we get good grades or, or become popular or look good, then we'll feel successful. If we get that car or that girlfriend, then we'll be cool. If we get that good-paying job or get married, then we'll have love and security. If we um, get that house or that better house, then we'll have security. Um, if we get those, those kids that we always dreamt about or we get grandkids, then things will finally start working out and looking better. If then, we always try to find happiness and other things but God. If then, life is constant And the examples are many. It is all misguided worship. And it happens in the big and the small things in life. And these are all lies. These are all idols. And idolatry began with Adam and Eve saying God plus something. And it continues today in the church era. Gospel plus something else. This gravitational pull back towards sin, back towards Finding meaning outside of who God is is a real struggle. We need Jesus so desperately. We need his Holy Spirit to fill us, to make us more like God. We need his word so we can begin to think God's thoughts after him and encounter true worship, the worship that Jesus provides for us. So the if-then formula is idolatry and sin caused our affections, our ambitions, our achievements to move away from God. What? Are we worshiping? In the fall, worship was broken, but it was not lost. Creation, fall, redemption. Redemption, worship made possible in Christ. I am so thankful that God had a plan to redeem, to restore, and to rescue us from our sin. In Colossians 1, 19 through 20, it says this, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through, him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, God had one formula, and it was this. If I send my son Jesus, my only son, to be born, to grow up, and to die, and to rise from the dead, then mankind can experience true worship. Christ has shown us back, to true worship. Christ came so that God may be gloriously worshiped again. Prior to Jesus um, coming to earth, um, God gave his people instructions. He gave them the law, the Mosaic law. This was given that people would know how to worship God rightly. His instructions were a gift to the people. This is who I am, God said, and this is what I expect of you. And in giving the law, it also revealed the sin of God's people. The law showed God's standard. The law showed the people's sin. The law showed a need for forgiveness. And the promise from the very beginning was that God would send a Messiah, a savior to rescue us out of our sin, out of our darkness, out of our idolatry. And is a promise that we read and we get to see within Luke chapter two and get to be reminded today the arrival of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. You see, God the Father looked forward one day to the cross of Christ where the guilt and sin and shame would be paid for us all. Jesus died in the place for us all. Jesus made true worship possible against, not only in the future, where worship will be fully realized, fully experienced, but also here in the present. Today, Jesus brings newness, and so we get to worship. I've never read John Piper's book, but I really like the title of it, 50 Reasons Why God, um, Why Jesus Had to Die. And it really just lists out all the reasons why Jesus came. You just read them over and over again. Within Christ, in Christ, he's given us everything new. We have a new Lord, we have a new identity, we have, um, it calls us new creation, we have a new community, we have new desires, we have new emotions, we have new power, and it is a new life of worship. One author writes this, Worship is a gift from God by which broken humanity can stand in the presence of the Father in the name of the Son and by the Holy Spirit. It is only because of God's gift of Jesus and the Holy Spirit that we can worship God, the Father, rightly again. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Restoration, worship as our future. And in closing, I just wanna say some things about heaven. We get a little picture of that in Luke chapter two with the angels. We get to see a little bit of the curtain peeled back so we can get to, to look within heaven and what it is about. And so for this Christmas season, I just have a few points with restoration for our future worship and experience um, as Christians. Heaven is more than just going to a place. Heaven is all about a person. It's more than just a place. It's about a person. So often when I was growing up, I just focused on a location, an awesome paradise, but it's actually with Jesus. One pastor Told me when I was in college, he said, when you when you come to faith in Jesus, you get Jesus. (laughs) That's that's all you get. It's it's the best gift ever. There's there's no there's Jesus plus. When you come to faith in Jesus, you get Jesus. Heaven is more than a place, it's a person. Jesus Christ. In heaven, number two, we will worship God unlike anything we can hope or imagine. And so as we read through these stories in Luke chapter two, as as we maybe take a look in Revelation and Revelation 21 and 22, we get to see a picture of our future and it is wonderful in heaven we worship god unlike anything we can hope or anything we can imagine in luke 2:10 it says and the angel said to them fear not this is what we read for behold i bring good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you is born this day in the city of david a savior who is christ the lord and this will be a sign you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger Listen to this picture of the angels and suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. We get a picture in Luke chapter two of our future of praising Jesus forever. It's more than a place, it's a person. It's unlike anything we hope, anything we can imagine Third thought for us this morning, in heaven, with Jesus, all of our brokenness will be healed. All of our brokenness will be healed. Worship is perfected again, just like we saw in creation before sin entered the world. All yeah. of our brokenness will be healed. And the fourth thought that I want to leave us with also is this, heaven is not boring because Jesus is not boring. I remember my grandmother, um, she was an amazing woman, and uh, she would always talk about, hey, Joe, I just want to, like, my body's getting older. I just want to kind of be with the Lord. My, my grandpa passed before she did. She said, I just want to be with the Lord. She said, I just want to, like, bow before him, bow before Jesus, and, and sing to him forever. And I remember thinking, I'm like, I was younger, I was like, Grandma, that sounds terrible. <laughs> it sounds so boring. I don't want to die. I don't want to do that. Where do we get the idea that heaven is boring? Where do we get the idea that it is not completely amazing? One author writes this, Calvin um, Ortland. He said, our belief that heaven will be boring betrays a heresy, that God himself is boring. There is no greater nonsense. Our desire for pleasure and experience of joy comes directly from God's hand. He made our taste buds, our adrenaline, our nerve endings that convey pleasure to our brains. Likewise, our imagination and capacity for joy were made by God, whom some imagine is boring. How are we so arrogant as to imagine that human beings came up with the idea of having fun? We see here that in heaven, it's not boring because we are with Jesus. Complete joy, complete happiness, eternal worship, is going to be so much fun. And so in Luke chapter 2, we just get a taste. We see the shepherds, a tiny glimpse of what our time in heaven is going to be like, a tiny glimpse of this real, authentic worship that God is with us. And I can't wait. The experience changed the shepherds, and the experience changed many of us here this morning. And so as we begin this Advent season, as we see the arrival of Christ and the anticipation of him coming again one day. May we walk away changed. In this season, my hope for us, my prayer for us, is that we take time to slow down. We take time to engage in true worship of Christ the King and to remember that worship is a gift. Will you pray with me?